Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Simon Wolfson, and this is the Vice UK podcast. What does it feel like to be rich? We know what it means to be poor. For millions of young people in the UK, poverty is a fact of everyday life. Young people have been disproportionately affected by government cuts, particularly the cut to housing benefit, which now if you're under 25, you can't even claim. But we're not talking about those people today. We're talking about this other group of people, people who say that they're poor, but act like they're rich. We hear a lot about how this group of people are going to be so much worse off than their parents because they've got low wages and high rents. They've got no job security and they have big student loans that they have to pay off. But looking at them, you wouldn't know that because they're buying £8 lunches and drinking nice coffees. Many of them rent flats in the nice bit of town and get Ubers everywhere. Are those people poor or are they rich? Later, we're going to be hearing from people who get Wonga loans, not because they're in dire straits and need to eat, but because they want to have a big night out and they've run out of cash. And we'll be joined by Makita Oliver, a TV presenter who, in an extreme case of spending money she didn't have, ended up declaring herself bankrupt at the age of 26. We'll talk about this in a minute, but before that, I wanted to talk to financial journalist Hazel Sheffield about who these people are who might never have any wealth but act like they're rich. Young people aren't earning anywhere near what their parents earned at the similar age and they can't expect to either. Now half the number of people own homes as they did 20 years ago. There was a sense, you know, when you started out in London that, you know, you, it was going to be hard or you weren't going to have loads of cash. But by the time you get to like 27 or 28, you kind of think, well, hang on, like I should, I should have had a pay rise. Like I should be able to afford my rent and like my brunch on a Sunday. And there's a sense of injustice there that I think people... People just think, well, I'm going to have that brunch because, you know, I've worked hard. I, I, I should be able to go out for brunch on a Sunday. What are some of the risks with people who have no wealth or negative wealth and no seeming prospects of ever gaining much wealth? They are spending all the money that they earn from month to month. The risks on an individual basis are obviously like personal debt. These kinds of people are susceptible to like falling prey to payday loans just to make ends meet. And once you're in that cycle, then, you know, that's when you start to suffer from things like anxiety and depression. And all these things are kind of a horrible downward spiral. You know, the other story I've just written for Vice is about bankruptcy and like rising levels of bankruptcy among young people. Bankruptcy actually isn't the worst idea for people who have found themselves in completely unsustainable levels of debt. 
what could it mean sort of as this generation reaches pensionable age if we don't own property if we haven't saved if we are still sort of living paycheck to paycheck in in 30 years not even the government knows like the government is making policies for the people voting for it and those people are people who are pension age now so they're doing everything they can to keep those people happy they've got triple lock on pensions they've got buy to let houses you know everything is rigged in their favor and we're the generation suffering from that and there have been massive changes as you say in like pensions for example that mean that when we get to that age we are never going to have those benefits like the baby boomer like golden era that's never going to be repeated like we grew up in a recession and unless we start to look after ourselves no one's making a new plan for us the government isn't like being like oh you know when they get to 60 everything will be fine this will happen they don't know as this group of people grows and grows does that reach a tipping point? Is that is that the political answer, that there is going to be a larger number of people who are in this group? Actually, another really important way to start thinking about this is that, you know, baby boomers have a lot of money and they're going to start dying and they're going to start leaving their two houses, their buy-to-let houses and their inheritances to some people in our generation who are going to be the next, like, rich people if like inheritance matters more if we don't have houses and we don't have savings and inheritance is everything we're relying on that means that who your parents are matter more and all that does is like make class divide worse within our own generation so you're talking about a class divide within the millennial generation that's going to get worse as we get older i mean i don't know what the consequences of that are but that's certainly something to think about Bish Seppo, hi. This was the week that Shelter released a study saying that four out of ten homes didn't meet sort of basic criteria of acceptability. Some of those things were that they had damp or that they were cold. Other things were that people living in them didn't feel like they were secure enough to kind of make them their home. Writing about housing on Vice, that's certainly not something that would be surprising. Those kinds of issues have been going on for a long time. It seems like something that starts as being accepted with the idea of student housing and like student flats, which are kind of always seen as being a bit run down and gross and you have a cowboy landlord who's never there. And that kind of just extends into your 20s, whether you went to university or not, where you're sort of made to accept that you live in somewhere that's, you know, not as good, but it's what you can afford and you have to live somewhere, so it's fine. And then suddenly it might get to the point where you look around and you're like, oh, I'm 45 and I'm still living in a place that isn't up to scratch and that isn't actually up to standard anymore and that's what we saw reflected in this report and like a BBC news story about it um, which is kind of just sad but it feels like we're also powerless to fight it so you wonder what you can do. One of the main reasons that I uh, still live at home is that I go to my friends houses and I look at how they live and I just say I'm not paying more than half my wage to live like this because it's fucking ridiculous. Um, I don't don't feel the need to have some kind of, like, antiquated sense of independence and, and, you know, adulthood just so I can fucking live in, like, have a share a shower with my mate, which I really don't want to do. Like, fucking my mate's fucking (laughs) pubes all over the floor and shit like that. to share a shower with your dad and have your dad's pubes Well, actually, uh, they've got their own bathroom, so... (laughs) Because my dad is a builder. He built... Um, a loft extension 
and then they they just live up there. That's why I could, that's why it's such a good like situation for me, <laughs> is I've basically got a whole floor to myself in which I can make as much sex sounds and you know oh. jizz in my shower as much as I like. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know. Oh God. But a bit, another big part of it is that people don't feel secure in their places, right? And that is something I think we've all dealt with of just like moving from a place. Well, not you, Bish, but most people <laughs> moving from a place like you're there for three months and then you go to another place for a month and then you go to another place for five months and you've got like one sort of bag of all your stuff. And it's a bit it's very hard to feel in any way settled. And I think that that leads people to not want to buy anything, you know, to want to spend all your money on food and restaurants and things like that. And even like Ubers and holidays and stuff, it makes you in a way just like, because you've got nowhere to really put it, you just (laughs) don't, I mean, most people don't even own furniture, right? They just go from one rented furnished place to another. They they have nothing. Do you have anything you'd save from a fire? Yeah, I've got sentimental items that I would save, you know. Things I'd save from a fire aren't things that I've, like, spent loads of money on, and I think that's my investment there. I need to save it from the fire. It'll be, you know, trinkets. What trinkets? I'd save my collection of uh, um, Nazi literature, <laughs> because that you is very important to a me. a lot of books on Hitler. Yeah, wow. not just Hitler. The rest of them get a bit of attention <laughs> as well. Do you think, though, that in general, like what I'm really struck by is when you go to the countryside and sort of drive around, you see everything that's there is aimed towards uh, improving your little plot, right? There's like DIY stores and garden stores and sort of big shops and kitchen places and everything that people do in their spare time is about like making your little plot better. And if you walk down the high street here, everything is about experiences it's like eat some fucking food and then like get pissed go vape you know like maybe get a cab maybe buy some clothes but you might even like take them back the next day as a lot of people do like everything feels really like experience led rather than trying to sort of build on anything if you live in an inner city, you're not, you haven't got a lot of gardens, so you don't need a lot of garden centres. Uh, no, I mean, you don't have anything that's yours, presumably, you know, a place to, st- to stay in and, and build upon. You still buy, you know, furniture and light bulbs. And I feel like people don't, though. They mo- I mean, most people don't even own a sofa or a bed or any I of don't that. know about that. I'm not so sure that that's true. I think it's fairly common that you will often be using your landlord's furniture and their things. Yeah. You essentially like will helicopter into their house for six months or 12 months or three months, whatever the contract might be, and then they'll chuck you out or they'll raise the rent and then you'll stay and suck it up and pay for another year or whatever. But often you just be doing that with just dropping your little middling belongings into the flat and not really owning anything else. A lot of people went to university and Mm. lived like students and seemed to be quite content with continuing to live like students even though they're not. Whereas I'd imagine a lot of people who didn't go to university are not content with living like students because it's a load of bullshit and will do anything to not live like that. Off the record, what is the most... Again, this is on the record. You did this last time. Very on the record. This could not be further yeah. from off the record. The definition of on the record here. Off the record. Um, <laughs> what is the thing that you spent money on that you'd like be most embarrassed to tell someone who like fought in a war about? Uh, a pair of embroidered joggers. How much did you spend on them? Upwards of three hundred pounds. No. I saw Jesse Nelson from Little Mix wearing them once. <laughs> <laughs> 
Someone sent me a photo of it and I felt extremely embarrassed. No, nice though. The embroidery is fantastic. Mine would be, and it's not so much that I'm ashamed as I'm like embarrassed of my stupidity, that one time the washing machine broke and I called the Hoover who make the washing machine and they said, oh, we can fix it now and it will cost £100 or you can get our repair care for one year and we'll fix it for free. And something about just the nature of the phone call made me go for the latter option. And as soon as I hung up, I knew I'd made an error. <laughs> and still, every day, every month from my wage, £16.50 <laughs> comes out in case my washing machine ever breaks again, which obviously it never will. Um, and that I'm quite ashamed of. But it can happen to anyone, right? Like, you have a thing like that, and you're just like, yeah, whatever, we'll spend a bit of cash on it. Mm. And I think, you know increasingly one thing that people will do is if they don't have the money in their bank account to get their 300 pound joggers <laughs> they will go to payday loans companies like Wonga and get a bit of cash from them poor in the sheets middle class in the streets <laughs> 40% of millennials say they've used payday loans, pawn shops, or other kinds of alternative finance. In fact, 25 to 30 year olds say they are far more likely to use payday loans than any other group. This is Joe. He used payday loans a lot when he was at university in Dundee. Yeah, I used to use Wonga quite a bit. Um, just having left uni and not completed my degree, I used it quite a lot at the end of every month when I was doing like really shit jobs in offices. You just kind of lived like paycheck to paycheck, but you didn't have enough to live paycheck to paycheck. So about a week before it would drop, you just had to have more money. The kind of the longer you wanted the money, the higher your payback would be. I remember reading the rules and like the APR on it is like 2000% or something. It's like astronomical. You'd basically like borrow a hundred quid and pay 30 pound for the pleasure of doing so. People think of payday loans as a lender of last resort, but that's not how Joe was using it. I was spending a lot of my income on drinking drugs at the time, especially in Dundee. It was like having a third parent. Um, I remember once I like abused it and like used it to buy an Xbox and an LCD TV and had to pay back like an extra 130 quid on top of the amount I'd borrowed, which was pretty awful. Even though he was having to borrow money every month, when it arrived in his bank account, he still felt rich. I mean, it's weird. I think just like definitions of uh, wealth are just like so different now for our generation. Because like you can be like massively, massively in credit, but still live a very fairly normal life. Like I don't actually have any credit cards. For some reason I decided Wonga was a better option than a credit card. It just felt more like short term punishment. When you do it with Wonga, it's like done and done. It's like you've been punched in the face. But I feel like with a credit card, it's just like slow, silent torture that just haunts you for the rest of your life. Like all my mates that I know that live out their credit cards have had them for years and just don't know how they're ever going to dig out of them. I think that's really interesting that the psychology of almost renting money from Wonga was more appealing than the complexity of long-term credit. Now Joe's in a job, his financial situation has changed, but his attitude to money hasn't. I think I've just got to a point now where like, I classify being like 2,000 pound in debt as zero. So like I live to, I live to be 2,000 pound in debt, like that's how I operate. <laughs> like I'm not trying to get out of that hole. I'm not like saving up to, uh, to like get out of my overdraft. I'm just happy to be in my overdraft. 
And he's not the only one in that situation. I think 40% of young people have used payday loans or something similar. 30% live regularly in their overdraft. We're joined by Makita. Hi, Makita. Hi. Uh, Ambition, Seppo are still here. You made a documentary about payday loans and that kind of thing. Is that a kind of familiar sounding story? Yeah. I know what living in debt is like. And I swear to God, it's the most depressing state to live in. It feels like you're sort of being suffocated constantly and you're sort of living under this dark cloud all the time. So it's interesting that that Joe just said, I don't have any intentions to leave this state. I just now live in debt. And I think that is a place that people have become more comfortable. It sort of doesn't feel as alien as it should. It's like, yeah, I'll just live in debt for the rest of my life. For a lot of people in that kind of situation, the amount of money they have in their bank account doesn't really affect how they feel about their own sense of wealth. They're well, not really aware of debt in that traditional sense. Well, exactly. And, and also, I think with things like Instagram and stuff, everything is so about keeping up appearances now. So I think people feel that it doesn't really matter if they have no money in their account as long as it looks like they're living a certain way and even if that living in debt allows you to live that way at least you're still looking good from the outside even if you're sort of dying inside every day <laughs> at least it still looks great on instagram you get a lot of likes for people who haven't read the sun um what can you remind them of your, <laughs> I'm dead, your it was on daily mail um, <laughs> um yeah so i went bankrupt about five years ago mm. and that was particularly difficult because, well, because I was famous, so it was everywhere, so that was fun. But it was particularly difficult because I was 27 and it was a very adult thing to go through bankruptcy. It felt like something that sort of Kim Bassinger goes through <laughs> and Wesley Snipes, not me. Um, so, um, it, and, and one of the hardest things for me was the, the lack of information because there's no financial education in schools which I still think is absolutely ridiculous. I didn't really know about tax and I had a bit of a dodgy accountant and I definitely didn't know anything about VAT and things like that. What would be like a lesson plan for like what would you have liked to go to in year 10? Sat down this is financial education kids what would have been the actual I mean, useful thing? Yeah let's not push it I mean it wouldn't, it wouldn't be an enjoyable class <laughs> but it would be like something that sat you down and said this is what a mortgage means and this is how to obtain them. This is the kind of conversations you will have to have to get one this is what a deposit is this is what tax means this is why you pay tax this is how you pay tax this is what it means to self-assess yourself this is what VAT means I swear to god I only learned what VAT meant last year <laughs> which is ridiculous I'm 31 years old so I, I genuinely think that it doesn't even have to be very complicated as you said just very matter of fact but I think it needs to go deeper than that I think it needs to be like hey here's like five different chairs look at them, this one costs a thousand pounds, this one costs two pounds, this one costs, you know, like, I think people need to get an early idea of, like, what stuff is valued at. Right. Because I'm so bad at that, you know, like, it's only when I meet people who do, like, art department stuff <laughs> that they're like, why are you buying that table that is like, look, I can fucking make you a table with, like, three bits of wood, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think that it's very easy to get brainwashed by marketing and, like, and young people are very brainwashed by marketing and think that you have to spend loads of money on stuff that is basically made out of crap. Yeah. I would love a kind Oh, God, I sounded like a dad so <laughs> much. Like, like, I literally <laughs> felt his spirit, like, come through my body. <laughs> but it is true, like, you know, you think you're getting a great bargain at Ikea and it breaks in six months. <laughs> what am I talking about? How old are you? You're 55, aren't you? <laughs> Do you think that there is something underlying of keep people poor and stupid? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. 100%, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's... Like, I, don't, it's, I just don't think it's purely accidental that there's... Well, no, no I mean, the, the reason that David Cameron was legally fucking doing his tax thing is because people like him are allowed to do that. And if as long as those guys are doing it and everyone else isn't, mm. you know, those people are on the top echelon. And if they're not paying the full amount of, like, tax or whatever in a very transparent way, in the same way that everyone else has to, everyone else just has to do it and has to get on with it. And also, our economy is very much based on people getting themselves into personal debt and spending money in the shops. It's based on buying things. It's like, based yeah. on buying things. That was things. the big so difference it's been between like, the 70s and now. Like, all we're meant to do is buy stuff. That's, that's how this economy runs, like service sector and just like buying things in shops. There's nothing else. Like, they did away with all the other industries in the country. So now you can't like, build anything, so you have to just like, buy something and then take an Uber to go somewhere else to buy something. Yeah. yeah, and if you don't do those things, the economy really does fail. And they do things like reduce VAT for six months or whatever, mm. just to try and make you go out and buy more stuff in the shops. Yeah. Like the government is really not keen on you having savings. The interest rate anyway is 0%. Jesus. And so there's no, if you have savings, you're effectively losing money. And so it's not just us who are being like, well, whatever, we'll just go and get stuff. There's a lot of wider pressures on people to not save. And so the only people who really make money are people who are rich enough to invest, which is the thing above saving where the money happens. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone else, you know, our parents, like safe savers, right? You get 3 or 4% a year, you put money away, ISAs and all of that stuff. And ISA, that cash ISA they're trying to sell, sell you now, you'll get lucky to get 0.8%. So did you get into a lot of debt before the bankruptcy? I mean, did you try and fix it, was, it with debt? It was, I didn't pay tax for three years. Right. And I thought that would just be okay. <laughs> and um, then realised it really, really wasn't. And um, start getting really quite serious letters to my door that I would just go, okay, that's not happening. And just tried to hide from it until it wasn't something I could hide from anymore. And so then my debt was cleared because bankruptcy clears your debt, which is quite nice. But still, you live as a debted person forever. People would look at me in the street sort of like I'd lost a limb. Like, you know, is everything all right? I was that like, yes, I'm fine, thank other, you. other reasons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that might not have necessarily That wasn't the bankruptcy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think, but it was really important for me to talk about it because, well, <laughs> it was everywhere. And I think knowledge is power. And the more we know about these things, that hopefully less people will have to go through it in the brutal way I had to. I think that there's no point in pretending that debt isn't a part of our lives. And it's about learning how to, if it's going to be in our lives, how to manage it. And, and also take, take the shame out of it. Because that's so much what, for me, debt meant. Just, like, shame and embarrassment and guilt. And actually, it is... Because of the way things are at the moment, you know, you, the fact that no one's ever going to really be able to buy a home in the city that they live in, we are going to have to live in a different way. So I agree with you. I think, I think maybe just managing it <laughs> in a more realistic way. That money that you owe to the tax man, yeah. are you still paying a little bit of it back? No. It's done. It just... Scratch from the surface. Guillotine. You're making it sound better and better. <laughs> yeah. This sound, is a pretty good advert for bankruptcy. to go bankrupt. <laughs> no. It was, yeah. But then, no, no, no. Um, I had to pay a percentage of everything I earned for, like, two years. Does that accumulate to the amount that you would have... They don't care about you trying to pay off the actual debt. They just want to know that they're taking a piece of your pie yeah. every... Right, moment right, they right. can. I remember I got a big job. I hosted the <laughs> Mobos, and we got like an email going. We've seen her hosting the Mobos. We expect to see some of that money. It's like, oh, oh, really? Google sake. alerts. Yeah, literally. Because <laughs> Oliver just got another job. Pass it in. Also, the other thing is because I lived so frivolously, I didn't own anything. If I'd owned stuff, they would have taken it all. So if I'd owned a house, that would have been taken from me. So no, that 
bankruptcy's hell if you own stuff. I just didn't have anything, which they, which I know really annoyed them. <laughs> I was like, I don't have anything for you to take because I haven't bought anything that of any value. Own anything then, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe that's that's the way then. Own nothing and then go bankrupt. Because yeah. <laughs> then you kind of get one. Then you kind of get one over on them, which is yeah. the ultimate uh, thrill, I think. <laughs> like, well, you can take my iPhone six. Like, I don't have anything exactly. more valuable than that. The thrill of bankruptcy. Yeah. Wow. That's why you gotta have stuff. Like you're only rich if you own. Like if you own a property outright and you're not paying a mortgage on it, you are wealthy. Oh yeah, that's that's what that's it actually living. means to be wealthy. <laughs> like then it's like if your grandfather handed you a property and you never had to pay anything except for like a little bit of the tax when he died, that is what will make you, in my mind, more wealthy because you will never have to pay anything but bills in that house and you will have a home for the rest of your life. Feasibly, you can then rent to make more money off of or live in and not pay any rent in. That's what it truly oh, yeah, would mean. Yeah, I feel like there are worse things than not owning. A house. Exactly. Like I feel like that is like the big maxim that everyone talks about when they talk about like the t- times are a change and no one's earning money enough to buy houses and stuff like that. But right. it's sort of quite I could see, Yeah, I could see myself happily living until I die, not owning a house. What does it then mean to sort of have money, to be rich, to be poor? There are obviously a lot of people in this country for whom poverty affects their everyday life who are you know using food banks or living hand to mouth in quite a serious way there's also an increasingly large group of people who are basically us who have in their bank accounts zero or less than zero yet live kind of relatively privileged lives i mean it's not it started with renting nice flats in East London and Ubers, but it's going on now. That's just a standard. That's just a standard, and it's going to other things, like you can get a cleaner to come to your house in half an hour. There was a thing this week that's saying that shops can barely deal with the amount of clothes that are being returned because people just, like, buy really expensive outfits and then send them back the next day. We're, like, living a kind of middle-class life that we're just renting from people who are making all the money off us. I think people are extremely hedonistic now and they just like doing whatever they want to do there's certainly a culture of like i will just do what i want to do and regardless of the effects that it will have on myself or anyone else it's going to happen because i want to do it and that's certainly how i live the most of my life like i could get to the end of the month and like have like 40 pounds left in my already expunged overdraft and I'll still get a cab home, even though I can get a bus. <laughs> yeah. I'll still do it. I'll still fucking do it. And I'll look at my fucking account and I'll be like, that's not looking good at all. But then I'll just get it anyway because I just like, I'm obsessed and addicted to living comfortably and I cannot not do it. And it's kind of been like, it's my comfortable life that I've had to this point that has kind of conditioned me into being that way. I've never had any real hardship in my life. I've never really experienced anything difficult particularly. So now I'm kind of like a big child (laughs) and I'm uh, I'm incapable of probably looking after myself probably. I mean, I assume some people have a backup plan and then others just don't and they're like, I'm living and it's cool and I'll deal with life at 40 when I'm 40 and I look around and I've only got like 5,000 pounds in savings. If someone's listening to us thinking that we're all frivolous pricks and just flittering away our cash on silly things, the other option of course is to save, to live a more sort of restrictive life, save money and at some point get a car or a house or some other thing. But because of how expensive everything is now, the thing that you can buy with those savings is by and large like not that again it doesn't improve your quality of life like we probably have a higher quality of life 
in rented accommodation than a lot of people do in bought accommodation or a much nicer Uber car than someone could ever buy. Yeah. <laughs> is there something about that that is just so unfair for the, for the savers and the strivers that then the thing, I mean, that is the real, if we actually did enter the world of trying to buy things, we wouldn't like it. Yeah, but they're not, they're not saving and buying for, you know, fun. They're doing it for security, which yeah. is something we don't have. Like, if you're saving to buy your house in, like, some small town on, like, the Essex kind of London border that's pretty hideous and boring, it doesn't matter. Like, you're boring. You're buying that house because you've decided, like, I'm going to be boring and move here and have a kid, not, like, I'm going to actually live in London and see my friends and do social things at yeah. night. Like, you have to kind of make that sacrifice. And once you accept that, like you're 33 and you're boring, then it's cool. Like, you'll just live that life. You have that baby with that person who you what met 10 you years ago. What if you have a child in the city that you grew up in? What if you like to have a child in the community that you grew up in? If you are from London and you don't already own property, then, like, basically, good luck. Like, if you're the kind of Londoner who doesn't want to have to leave London, because obviously, like, why would you? Just accept that you're probably going to rent forever and you're not going to necessarily be able to afford a house for a while. Maybe you'll be able to afford one when you're, like, 50. Thanks very much to Makita and to Hazel, also to Joe and to Seppo. This was the Vice UK podcast produced by Sam Bonham at Rethink Audio. We'll be back next week.